You have no doubt heard the story of the woman with superhero strength. Um, depending on when you heard it or who you heard it from, the story's details change a bit, but the general gist is the same. A woman sees her child pinned under a car, and the adrenaline, fear, and mother's instinct combine into a superhero cocktail of sorts, giving her the strength to lift the car off of her child. You've heard this, yes? Yeah. And the story is not limited to mothers. I've heard similar tales of fathers going to extraordinary measures to save their children. Um, I'm not a parent yet, but I do know that when a child is seriously ill or injured or endangered, it is a dire situation for the parent or for the adult who cares for that child. So in one of our cultural lenses, today's gospel lesson makes so much sense. This woman, the woman without a name, she's a mother who is fiercely caring for her daughter. She has, as any caring mother would, have exhausted all of her resources. She's a Canaanite. She's not a Jew. So she's probably seen the faith healers, the magicians. She has sought out the wise people, none of whom are able to help her and her daughter. So when she hears of a Jewish teacher traveling to her area, a man claiming to be the Messiah, she pushes all of her assumptions aside and seeks the man whose healing reputation precedes him. But there is so much nuance here beyond fierce parenting. We need to do a bit of remembering where in the timeline of Christianity the Gospels were written. So, This might sound a little like a seminary lecture, but bear with me. It'll come together. The Gospels were not written until after the Pauline letters. So Acts and Romans, those things were written down first. The Gospels were written so that um, as the first generation of Christ followers is dying off, they're realizing they might lose the story of Jesus if they don't write it down. So it's evident in the letters of Paul that squabbles begin to break out between certain cultures and groups of Christ followers. And so the Gospels were written sort of pointedly to groups of people. So the Gospel of Matthew was written for an audience of Jews. These Jews were trying to reconcile how to follow Jesus alongside those pesky Gentiles. In their world, the Jews and the Gentiles didn't associate. The Gentiles were dirty heathens. We'll hear more about that later. But if Jesus was a Jewish leader, then obviously, to the Jews, the followers of Jesus should conform to the standards of Judaism. Yes, it makes sense. The Gospel of Matthew was written to help Jews understand how to move forward in a new identity in Christ. So carry that information with you as we keep moving. I have been spending this summer reading and preaching through the lectionary, which is an assigned order of texts that are used throughout many denominations and groups of Christians. So last week's lectionary text was the Gospel of Matthew's account of Peter walking on water. It's a familiar text for many, but as I read this week's story of the Canaanite woman, I couldn't help but compare the two. So just a quick recap, if you need a refresher. Peter sees Jesus walking toward the disciples on the Sea of Galilee. 
So Peter decides to address Jesus, and Jesus bids Peter out of the boat. So Peter takes a few steps onto the water, and then he succumbs to fear and doubt and begins to sink. He cries out to Jesus, and Jesus saves him. And the rest of the story sort of fades away. Peter, a disciple, one of Jesus' insiders, cried out to Jesus, and it seems that without much thought, Jesus reaches out to save him, to pull him up from sinking. So when we hear today's story, the voice of the Canaanite woman crying out to Jesus, it seems uncharacteristic, harsh even, that Jesus turns his back on her and gives her the silent treatment. But not to be deterred so easily, she might have begged the disciples. Peter, the very same disciple who maybe just days before had been rescued out of the stormy waters by Jesus, might have been the one to say, send her away. Jesus is saying to his disciples here, my mission statement has been clearly defined. I, knew, I know who comes first, and that's the Israelites. This woman is far from Israelite. Geographically, ethnically, she is the furthest thing from who Jesus thinks his target audience is. Her first response was met with silence. But that was not the answer she was seeking. So she calls out again, Lord, help me, using the same words that Peter used. She has recognized Jesus, son of David. She is acknowledging his lordship. She's crying out to Jesus that despite her background, despite all the things that should keep her away from Jesus, she knows that he is something special. And what does her second call for help get her? A seeming insult and a snarky rebuttal. Jesus said, It is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. Jesus just compared her to a dog. Historically, Canaanite people were thought of as wild dogs by the Jewish people, but that doesn't take the sting out of the words of Jesus. So she meets his rebuttal with a rebuttal of her own and says, Yes, but even the dogs eat the crumbs from the master's table. She knows that this Jesus with the healing of, with the reputation of healing and compassion will not turn her away without the only thing she seeks, mercy. And so in her third address to Jesus, she is met with his response, Woman, great is your faith. Now, if I was Peter, I would be ticked. Peter, the faithful disciple, the insider who had been brave enough to step out of the boat, he had his cry answered, but the part of the story that we forget about is that when he gets back to the boat, Jesus calls him a man of little faith. And now his teacher and friend answers the cry of a woman and declares her a woman of great faith? It was probably frustrating. The Gospel of Matthew is written for those who thought themselves closest to Jesus, the Jewish Christ followers. 
And then this story comes along and turns on its head the assumptions of who should be in and who should be out. Because the outsider, the woman, the Canaanite, received the same mercy from Jesus as others healed before her. So it's easy for us to think that the church's obsession with who is in and who is out is a relatively new one, but this story tells us that that has not been the case. Even in the first years following the ministry of Christ, the followers of Jesus needed clear-cut boundaries for defining for them, on God's behalf no less, who is in and who is out. Do you adhere to the teachings of the Roman Catholic Church? No? Out. Have you received the Holy Ghost? No? Out. And today we know that the ins versus the outs debate is far from over. Are you straight? No? Out. Are you tithing a strict 10% of your income? No? You're out too. It's easy for us to blame the institutional church for this ins versus outs mentality. And I do believe that there is some blame to be laid there. But I can't help but think that the news events of the past few weeks have reminded us that this need for clear-cut boundaries between who's in and who is out is not simply a church problem. Often it's physical boundaries that are being violated, making us, the ins, feel uncomfortable. It might be children arriving in our country on a bus. They're not out anymore. They're in, and we don't want them to be. Sometimes we are the spectators in the ins versus out divisions, but we have our opinions, no doubt. Are you pro-Israel or pro-Palestine? That's an ins versus outs debate. But I think the most scary need for boundaries rears its ugly head when we believe that the ins versus the outs conflict is behind us and in the past when it's not. The events in Ferguson, Missouri have shown our country and our world that racism is still an issue and that we are more obsessed with who is in on the side of power and privilege privilege, and who is out on the side of disparity and injustice than any of us would like to admit. So is it any wonder that the church, which is so enmeshed within the culture that surrounds us, cannot escape the tedious cycle of worrying about who needs to be excluded? And we know whether from this gospel story or from our own life experiences that sometimes the greatest faith cannot be found in the in crowd. And if great faith comes from the outside, then what are we, the insiders, left to do? What are we supposed to do if we hear from our own experiences and from the church that the outsiders hold the great faith? So we can't really fault Peter and the other disciples for wanting to have this woman turned away and ignored. She feels sort of threatened, threatening. She's the outsider who has great faith when just before Jesus has asked those on the inside why they have no faith at all. 
And it is the change in the mind of Jesus that shows this woman's faith. But people ask, what changed his mind? Was it his exhaustion in dealing with this annoying, pestering woman? Maybe, but I think not. Was it his desire again to provide the disciples with a lovely little teachable moment? I think not either. When he called this unnamed woman a dog, she boldly declared that even the dogs have a place at the table. Even the dogs have a place on the inside. Barbara Brown Taylor writes, The line Jesus had drawn between himself and the woman disappears. The limits he had placed on himself vanish, and you can almost hear the huge wheel of history turning as Jesus comes to a new understanding of who he is and what he has been called to do. He is no longer a Messiah called only to be to the lost sheep of Israel, but God's chosen redeemer of the whole world, Jews and Gentiles alike, beginning with this Canaanite woman. She continues, through her faith, sorry, my my page flipped and I want to quote Miss Taylor the right way. Through her faith, the woman's faith, Jesus learns that God's purpose for him is bigger than he had imagined. That there is enough of him to go around. And in that moment, there is no going back to the limits that he observed even a moment ago. The old boundaries will not contain his new vision. He must scratch them out and draw them bigger to include this foreign woman today and who knows who else tomorrow. It looks like answering God's call means that he can no longer control his ministry or narrow his mission. There is no more in or out. Through a very human moment in the life of Jesus, he doesn't take the easy route, which would be to take everybody to the outside. Instead, he takes the challenging route, and he draws those on the outside in. In this story, we see the expansive and unlimited nature of God's grace. We see that God's love widens over time. And if God's love is not widening, then it's not really God's love. God's love widens and becomes more and more inclusive, drawing more and more in from the outside. Just as the sense of Jesus' own ministry was widened when he listened to the three cries of this outsider, we too are being called to listen to the cries of those that we have understood to be on the outside. Because the truth is that each of us has felt like an outsider at times. But it was not God who drew the the line dividing the ins from the outs. People did. People who were like the disciples who only understood their false sense of being an insider by leaving someone else out. So if you have ever felt or even still do feel like the culture and even the church has placed you on the outside, know that your persistent presence in front of Jesus is not unrecognized. There is enough for you, enough mercy and more than enough grace. But the more difficult message is that 
there are times when we get comfortable on the inside. And when that is the case, it's probably because we're drawing an imaginary boundary to keep someone or some group of people out. Whose cries are we ignoring? Who are we turning away? But most importantly, who is trying to get to Jesus that we are standing in the way of? Because that is the person that Jesus looks at and declares great faith in, while we are left standing with our mouths agape. But the good news is that around the table of Christ, the table that we gather this morning, no one receives crumbs, because there is enough. We, each one of us, receive the abundant grace of Jesus Christ, who has drawn us to the inside. May it be so. Amen.